welcome to Hanks for the Memories. There's no crying in podcasting. This is episode 21 of League of Their Own from 1992. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And Mike, we were talking before we started recording that you and I recorded a podcast about this not nine months ago when we spoke about it on The Contenders, another show here on the network with Tobin and Island, both of whom have been on the Tom Tom Club. We're back here on the Baseball Diamond, and we have brought with us two very special guests to talk about this movie again. But here we are again, Mike. I'm glad to be here again, you know? Uh, It doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but we've covered a lot of ground. Absolutely. So first up, making his Hanks for the Memories debut. He was over on the Cruise Club episode of Top Gun, our resident year 2000 action expert, neither of which really applies here, but we have Dan the Duke Hayden. Hello, Duke. Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you for joining us to talk about baseball and no crying in it. Oh, it's a pleasure. And yes, it's true. There is no crying in baseball. Ooh, well, we, we welcome you into the fold for this uh, monumental occasion. Also with us tonight, returning champion from the Splash episode of Hanks of the Memories. She has her very own podcast here on the network, Wistful Thinking. She is also the very special honored guest this entire lap of Too Fast, Too Forever, the Fast and the Furious podcast that I do with Joe, too. We have Kara Gayla Regan. Hello, Kara. Hello. And I know that you said that there is no crying in podcasting, but I'm probably going to cry when I'm talking about this movie because I love it so much. Well, you cried while watching it. How many times did you cry watching it? At least once for a... Or the whole time? Not the whole time. Let's see. I wrote down a few of the times that I cried, but it was definitely more than that. First cry during the tryout montage. Mm -hmm. Second cry was just after the tryout montage because there's a woman who can't read her name and, and yes Shirley you know, Baker yeah might start crying now I worried that as, as soon as I <laughs> as soon as I got into this line of questioning I knew we were headed down a uh, a melancholy route in a, in a good way I guess yeah so uh, several more periodic cries throughout the movie and then I start crying during the World Series game and it's just a growing sob through the end of the movie and for several hours afterwards <laughs> Several hours. Well, we are here now, at least a day, I hope, removed from you watching this. So if any tears will be fresh tears, new tears. Um, so that'll be a podcast tears. Yeah, I'm really glad I watched this last night. So before we get into this movie in particular, Duke, I know that you were on our Cruise Club episode. We talked a little bit about Tom Cruise. In terms of Tom Hanks, uh, do you have a favorite Tom Hanks movie? And do you remember the first one or the first time you remember either the first movie of his you saw or the first time you kind of were aware of Tom Hanks? I think, especially in the 90s, you know, he was in so many amazing like movies. I think probably like most of you, the first time I watched a Tom Hanks movie was big. I think that was the first time I was, you know, probably that or Turner and Hooch. Those are probably the, the earliest I can remember. But I mean, it's kind of hard for me to say. I, I like Tom Hanks a lot. I've seen I've seen everything he's done since. It's just those those first first movies. I can't really quite recall. It's probably bigger Turner and Hooch. All right, all right. And do you have a favorite one of his? Hmm, that's really tough. I'd just probably say either Saving Private Ryan. Probably Saving Private Ryan. All right. Very exciting. All right, that's very cool. We are not quite there yet, but we have covered both Big and Turner and Hoosh. Now, have you watched the extended cut of Big, which makes it way less funny? No, I was not even aware of it. Do not seek it out. It's not bad. It's just, you know, compared to the regular one, I think, Mike, you and I both watched the extended cut, and then, like, as soon as we finished, just sort of, we're like, let's watch the regular one and just see what's going on, like, separately, and we're like, oh, this flies by. I think it's wildly different tone. Yeah. There's one great scene, though, if you can look up the tuxedo shopping sequence that they omitted. Mm, Yes, yes, yes. One scene they should have kept. So now I want to point out that we have been through kind of through the ringer here on Hanks of the Memories. This is episode 21, but we are finally there. We've been, you know, shouting it from the rooftops, Mike, for episode after episode that this was going to be the one that turned the corner. Boy, oh boy, did we finally turn the corner. It has been a rough road to hoe up to this point. But here we are. Not only did I like this movie more than when I watched it for the contenders, not only did I sort of appreciate it more, understand it more, what it's doing, I think it's just the relief of like knowing no more radio flyer at least for a while right like we know for a while this is going to be pretty good yeah. but just the everything about this time worked so much better for me and i'm just so glad that you know the past is behind us and we are now on this like unimpeachable run that the phrase i keep using over and over again like basically all classics yeah i mean well for me we were almost there with bonfire of the vanities got really close <laughs> yeah man like watching it this time it was sort of just like washing over me like a 
warm hot chocolate in a blanket or something you know what i'm saying like this movie is i love it it's so good to begin with but then just in conjunction with what we're doing and like you say like the sort of you know things we've seen recently with hanks and the time we've taken to get here like it it definitely uh, had more payoff this this rewatch wonderful let us go let us let's begin to heap praise upon this movie wait wait oh joey uh our new segment oh god right plot summary i forget i forget i forget mike please tell the listeners if they do not know what this movie is about which is available to if you have i know that a lot of people probably don't have showtime but if you have showtime or showtime anytime available to stream right now for free uh so go watch it if you haven't mike what is a league of their own about i'll keep it real short and simple if i can but it's world war ii the men are off to war there's no more baseball because it's all men and they're all going to fight and so a candy bar owner gets the pretty bright idea that he will employ women in a new league uh, a new women's baseball league and that's exactly what the movie's about and it follows two sisters from the farm to the big league all the sort of trials and tribulations they have to go through and they meet tom hanks who turns out to be their manager and he's sort of this washed up drunk that used to be great and you know he decides to take the job and together everybody uh, makes it to the world series where it's sister versus sister and it's it's super exciting and very tense and uh, man this is a really great movie so that's that's it in a nutshell and our team loses in the end the rockford peaches lose well, Kara, to kick things off in terms of our favorite moments, to heap praise upon this movie that Mike so beautifully summed up right there. Kara, I'm going to give you the opportunity. Do you want to go first or do you want to go last? Do you want to share all of the things that you love about this movie or do you want to let other people share theirs then sort of fill in the gaps? Because I feel like you probably have the most to say. Would you have to go first or last? Yeah, let's do that. I'll go last. All right. Well, Duke, let's start with you. What is your favorite part? If you have to pick a favorite moment or scene or character or interaction, what's your favorite part of A League of Their Own? Uh, where to start? I mean, I love uh, Hans Zimmerman's music that he put behind this movie. Mm. When I think of this movie, I can immediately hear like the kind of overture in the background. Besides that, I really like Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell's friendship. Oh, their little buddy comedy is so great. I would watch a whole movie just about the two of them. It's it's delightful, yeah. And obviously, Tom Hanks one-liners. He has a lot of them in this movie. Uh, speaking on that score, it's true. Like, there's this great sort of big band um, like aspect to it that just keeps the movie chugging along. It's like you know, real bombastic at times, but then it also can really swing, and other times like be very quiet. It's it's really cool. I think it adds to, and it's also not like too much. It's kind of in keeping with the movie. It's got a very light touch. It's a cheery movie. It's not too, too deep. It's just very enjoyable and easy to watch. I, I've always thought of this movie as just like a, a good sit down on a Sunday afternoon and, and enjoy a movie that I liked watching when I was a kid with like my mom or something like that. Yeah, I think that there is something about a sports movie in which you kind of know, unless it's like, a, unless it really turns the genre on its head, you kind of know where it's going to wind up. Like they're going to get to the championship game and either they're going to win or they're going to lose. So I think within the sort of the trappings and the confines of that, you know, it's it's nothing that like you have to sort of think too hard about. But what I think makes this movie work well is that it, it takes the twist on what a normal baseball movie is and adds in a lot of life and the female perspective and the all of the female cast and the interactions and the relationships. And I think it goes kind of deeper into the characters. Like, we sort of know more, I think, about more of the players on the team than you do in most other sports movies. And that might not be explicitly true, but I feel like in the two hours that Penny Marshall has here to tell the story, I feel like we, we know a lot about a lot of these women. And I think that's really kind of special and exciting. Yeah, I agree. We talked about this when we did Cinemakers, Amy Heckerling, that women directors tend to like weave more of a rich tapestry than their male counterparts. And I like you were just saying, as far as most sports movies go like characters are so often these very kind of like broad brush strokes but like there's a whole universe here and like every character is unique and like kind of dimensional in a wonderful way yeah absolutely yeah i feel like in in lots of sports movies people are like very stereotypical and here Mm -hmm. like knowing more than just one thing about each of the women on the team or, or most of them fleshes it out like even if you know you're not quite sure you realize it or anything but by the end you do really feel like you know this team 
um, or at least I do better than than some other sports teams and other movies. And the characters are all very different. I think that helps a lot too. They're all at different stages and their their lives in some in some aspects. Some of them have families. Some of them have husbands. Some of them have children. And it's a nice little touch that you you really like you said you you wouldn't have in like the male stereotypical like football or baseball movie and also like what a rare opportunity to see this many women in a movie and the fact that they are all like individuals and not just this like oh look at these ladies and this is one of the things that like always makes me cry i cry when i watch women's sports on tv too which is that like we so rarely get to see women on screen using their bodies for something other than sex or childbearing and like here they get to use their butt like fully inhabit their bodies and be so active and use them in such a wonderful and entertaining way and what i love and i I know that you read all this too carrick because we were talking before we started recording about the trivia is that a lot of the trivia about this movie a lot of the behind the scenes making of this movie is that there were basically there are so many names that were considered for like inclusion in this movie different roles different parts or whatever but penny marshall was basically like if you can't play baseball you're not in this movie like i don't care if you're a good actor or not but if you can't play if you can't look like you're playing you're not gonna make it and i think what really backs up your point beautifully Kara, is that not only are they like able to show them like doing something with their body but like they all look the part you know what i mean like they're all playing and running and hitting and fielding and and all of the like bruises and scrapes and other injuries that you see on the women in this movie are real things that happen to them they're not makeup which i think is very cool yeah it is i think uh i was reading that they, they were trying to teach some of the cast members to slide and like a whole bunch of them got concussions on the first day just trying and, and yeah the the one girl who had that that huge shiner on her thigh she had that for uh, something like a year or something the scar from that it is i mean it's it's a brutal it's a brutal sport it's a non-contact sport but it, there's so much physicality to it and i think you you see it here and that's one of my favorite things about this movie. I don't know if it's my number one favorite thing, but, like, I just love how much baseball there is. Like, there's so much, and it looks real, and it looks authentic. Like, when Joe and I did, uh, when we started Magic Mike's, our Channing Tatum podcast, and we did Coach Carter, one of the trivia things about that was that Channing Tatum had never picked up a basketball before that movie, or he never played basketball or something. So he had to, like, learn how to play basketball for that movie. And, like, there's a lot of basketball, but it doesn't always, like, it looks good, but doesn't look as good as this baseball looks. Like, I think in certain movies, you can kind of tell when actors don't don't really feel comfortable or don't know mm-hmm. what they're doing. Like it feels here that they all either play. like I know some of them I think like Lori Petty played on the boys' teams growing up. Like I think that either they all played baseball or softball or like just were comfortable playing. Like it just it feels genuine. And one of my favorite things about this movie is just how much of that there is. Yeah, and like something that really speaks to the quality of the filmmaking is that I hate baseball and I only realized like very recently that this is a baseball movie. <laughs> like obviously it's a baseball movie. Duh. I see the baseball happening, but I never thought of it as a baseball movie, as this movie about a sport that like I never want to watch, and I always want to watch this movie. Yeah, I think it's a testament to how just masterfully it's directed. Like Penny Marshall, it's like an it's almost like an action movie, you know, the way she's covering the games and everything, and there's no special effects either which is you know you know that those are actual people hitting those actual hits and it took as long as it took to get those takes and it all came together so seamlessly and there's so much of it like you're saying i do love that about it though it, it gets me excited for the sport in general you know it's like you're, i know we're only seeing sort of the best parts you know and like most of baseball is not what we're seeing on the screen here but it can be you know and that's you what bite your tongue that's what excited hey you know me joey i became a big fan of a I know, certain you love team, baseball and i haven't always been the biggest you know sports movie fan as far as my character on the podcast goes but yeah i mean that's i just think it's so well directed you know bottom line and one thing that is also in the trivia is that to f- sort of fill in the gaps of the storytelling and just sort of to have this kind of cohesive vision penny marshall had them play a lot of baseball that wasn't scripted they just, i think they just filmed a lot of it and i think that there's that element to it like it just feels real because they're able to take like you're saying like the stuff that isn't necessarily the most exciting things about baseball and remove that and just sort of 
sort of have the hits and the plays and the catches and the whatever and make it feel real but also make it exciting which I think baseball movies when they do it right really do it right another one of my favorite things about this movie I love how angry Tom Hanks is all the time like I think that it's a funny version of him that like we really haven't seen that much of yet we've had sort of touches of it right when he starts to explode or things and he never gets angry per se but he gets like super frustrated but this was great because he's like yeah he's fuming he's a super grump in this movie he gained 30 pounds to the role like he looks the part he feels the part he just seems sort of you know weighed down by the world and we've had that kind of frustration that growing anger but i feel like he's he starts this movie like on a nine and then like quickly gets to a 10 like he's just like he's right there like he's just about to burst and he's just angry for so long i love it because it's a new type of hanks that we really haven't seen that feels genuine but i also like that his bonding with gina davis in this movie eases him off that ledge and kind of returns him to being like a normal guy again and i think that feels genuine it doesn't feel rushed it doesn't feel unearned it feels like they actually sort of bond and like she she sort of like breaks him down a little bit and i think that his evolution as a character like i thought you know before we watched this for the contenders i thought he was gonna be in the movie a lot more than he is like he's kind of like he's maybe the top build or whatever but he's firmly in the back seat like this is gina davis's movie it's laurie petty's movie it's the women on the team it's their movie he's just sort of orbiting them but now that i sort of understood and appreciated where he fit into the story i think that combining that with the growth that we've seen through these first, you know, 2021 movies, it all comes together in a really great way. And the studio wanted him and Gina Davis to get together in the movie, and they were even supposed to kiss at one point. But Penny Marshall didn't want to distract audiences with a love story, so she cut it out. And I feel like any other movie, that would have happened. And it fucking rules that it didn't happen in this one. And I don't mind it, because, I mean, President of the United States Bill Pullman shows up, and it's just like, hey, I'm your <laughs> husband. It's like, cool, I'm, I'm okay with that. That's fine. You know what I found interesting about that when he shows up, though, is uh, he he has like a limp, like Hanks's character, and he kind of looks like a thinner version of Hanks's character too. I was like, were they just trying? Is there something they still wanted to say something like she kind of ended up with him in a way, but not really? She's with her husband, but he's kind. I don't know. One other thing that I want to say, my favorite other moment is just when Gina Davis uh, palms the fastball when she catches the fastball with her bare hand. Love it. Uh, but Mike, what about you? What are your favorite parts, favorite moment, favorite scene, favorite character in this movie? Uh, it's tough. Like, love so much about it. Um, this time around, though, I think the part I I definitely laugh the hardest at is, so, you know, there's the famous scene where he yells, you know, no crying at baseball. But then later in the World Series, she kind of, she does sort of like the same thing. And he comes up to her and he's like filled with rage but he's just holding it back and he's like squinting really hard you know and like gritting his teeth and he has his hands up in front of his face and he's just like very he starts to speak very softly like through his teeth about how like this is something you got to work on for next season that just cracked me up so hard because you know it it showed a level of uh, of growth for that character in part because you know earlier in the movie this is he was yelling at this person and later uh he he wasn't i mean it's a very small thing but i mean he sold it so well it was such a such a great moment he's got a fun uh evolution through the movie from talking to mr harvey just trying to make a quick buck trying to convince him that he's not a stupid drunk anymore to being a stupid drunk and playing with his balls in the dugout he keeps drinking throughout the movie he just sort of has an attitude adjustment you know like he becomes more of a happy drunk or stable drunk well gina davis does give him a soda at one point and it seems like he's fine after that so gina davis kind of just nudges him through the movie to be like a better person like she's giving all the signals and and telling the players what to do and he almost like kind of looks like jealous like what well, like i i should be the singles he has an argument with her and like when she sits back down and sees him like kind of doing what he's supposed to be doing she like kind of smiles like yeah look i made the drunk do something i think he's a great character like not just like one of the great hanks characters but like you know in a movie filled with really you know rich characters you know like there's a lot of ground to cover here and like you said earlier joe he's not really on screen that much it's not really his movie but he and he's one of the few men that have like a feature role he kind of has to hold his own in a room full of like other really strong performances and no one really has a lot of time to go too deep but everybody is 
very rich and, and giving it their all. All right, Kara, the time has come. What are your favorite things that we have not talked about yet? Hit us with everything that you love about this movie. Okay, the solidarity between the women, like that moment that I talked about before where the one woman can't read and then one of the other women in the group like realizes what's happening and she gets up and she walks over to her and like very quietly asks her if she can read and then she helps her. And there's so many like small moments like that throughout the movie or like when Betty Spaghetti finds out that her husband, oh God, I'm going to start crying, that her husband died, you know, like all of the women rush to take care of her and they take care of each other in this movie and it, I just... I love seeing that because that's how the how it works in the world too. And then there's so much that I so deeply love about this. I do want to say while while you compose yourself, uh, we did not originally I don't think put you on this episode, and I think you said something along the lines of like, if you don't let me talk about this movie, I will never talk to you again. Something it wasn't <laughs> I would never say that, that threatening, but it was like that was the intent that I understood from it. So I want to make sure that people. I mean, not that your words are not articulating, but like this this means a lot. I, I know that like this there's a lot here that uh, means a lot. So yeah. Um, so this is like the first movie that ever made me really cry, like really, really, really cry. And it makes me really, really, really cry now for completely different reasons. Um, and so it just, you know, it holds a very special place in my heart. But I can kind of like skip over all of the other stuff and talk about the things at the end that really get me going sure. that I love so much, which is so like throughout the movie, Kit, the younger sister, is dealing with being in the shadow of this older sister who is the best in the league she's the most beautiful woman on the planet you know it's like impossible for her it feels like to to carve out a space for herself to the extent that at one point they transfer her to another team which is how they wind up playing each other in the world series um the team that kit is on winds up winning because she does something baseball-y. I don't even know what happens. She hits uh, what should be, I guess, a triple, but she runs through a stop sign and then essentially tries to make it into an inside-the-park home run, which she's out by a mile, but she bowls over her sister, who's playing catcher, and she knocks the ball loose, and so she's safe because the catcher has to hold on to the ball and keep the tag to sort of make an out. So she's out, but then she hits her with such force that she uh, becomes safe. Interesting. Okay, I didn't understand half of what you just said. But anyway, she wins the game. And so her team, the crowd is chanting her name. The the team lifts her up and carries her out of the stadium. You know, and it's like this triumphant moment for this character that has felt so overshadowed uh, and so marginalized throughout the movie. And then a little bit later, or maybe like right after that, I don't remember, but she's inside signing baseballs for these little girls who just are smiling their faces off and so excited and like so full of possibility and she tells them to get dirty which I love and that makes me cry really hard and then so there's this framing device for the whole thing where like at the very beginning of the movie it's actually a modern day and we see Dottie all grown up and then it goes back in time and then at the end of the movie all of the women on this team and apparently only this one team I, I don't understand why the other teams aren't there but all of the women on this one team reunite at the baseball hall of fame for an exhibit the first ever exhibit on women in baseball the first ever women to be inducted into the baseball hall of fame and they all see each other for the first time in decades and they you know are talking about losing people in their lives and seeing each other again and those great times that they had and oh god it just really gets me and then during the credits there's footage of the actual women playing baseball. <laughs> I can't handle it. It's too much. I love it so much. This used to be my play. Oh my god, every time I hear that song too, I cry. So I want to kind of pivot for a second and talk about the the book ending, the the way that the story begins and ends in modern day before we go back in time. And if I had to pick a least favorite moment, I don't want and like it's tough for me because there's so much of that, like what you described, Carol, like I, I love the emotion of it. I love seeing them play baseball. I just don't know like I think it's partly again sort of like nitpicking a thing because i love the rest of the movie so much but like what doesn't really like i don't know if we necessarily need that framing device and i think some of it works really well and i love Mm -hmm. them getting inducted there but it just feels like when the world series ends the buses ride off like i feel like that's kind of like a nice ending there too yeah it could be but i just i find reunions especially after a long period of time has elapsed like very powerful (laughs) yes joey you're not one to really 
care for the wraparound to begin with as far no, as far as this show is no. concerned or the shows we've been doing like i don't you know i can't remember maybe once where you're like it worked because it came back in like the middle <laughs> of the movie or something you know yeah like all i can i just keep thinking of like don't breathe which is like the polar opposite of this movie in just about every way but like i hate like what what he's saying carrot and duke is like i hate when like a horror movie especially like show like drops you in the middle of the or the beginning of the movie is just like the climactic scene like a girl is like running down the street or whatever and then like the end of the movie we find out that that's the girl that we've been following and she's running it's like yeah we know like you showed this to us like just have faith in like what you're building you know what i mean like this is a little bit different like this i understand like this is whole like the, the framing device here is telling the main story via a flashback and i appreciate that i just don't know if we need it and again i don't think it's bad and i think as it goes on like it's sort of like the type of joke where like you laugh and then you stop laughing and then you laugh again like it's kind of like that structure where like i like the framing element and then it sort of goes on for too long and i'm like i don't need this and then it keeps going on you're like oh this is actually really nice and it feels like this weird blending like i know that it's based on a true story and based on these real women and everything and i just think that some of it is like oh like let's show tom hanks here again even though he his character passed away like like here's john lovitz like here's who he's based on exactly it's like this blending of like reality and fiction and it just feels like we had left it with such a nice like after the game ends like the beautiful moment they share in the hallway and then it just keeps going on it's just like i don't know if we need this and i I love what kara loves about it but i just there's some about this that i just think that we could just excise it kind of it's funny you say that joey because like I mean, I like the wraparound. I think it's good that it's there, but the thing I don't like about the movie, my thing, I, I think the thing I like least about it is how it's done. Like, I I want the flashback sort of aspect. I mean, it's not like I want her to start narrating or anything in the middle of the movie, but I hate how, like, Gina Davis is doing the voiceover the same way, like, they did Christopher Reeves in Superman as a young kid. Like, I, don't, I mean, it's obvious that that woman is playing an older Gina Davis. I mean, I thought it was her in makeup, for crying out loud, like, the first several times. And it's her voice is dubbed over the actress's voice. And that's my least favorite part. Like, I think there's something to the structure that I like that pays off. I think what could have worked is maybe seeing her, like, on the airplane, you know, like, start it there or something, or seeing her just in transit. I I don't know about that early on interaction at the house. It's, It's just kind of wonky. Yeah, I feel like the beginning doesn't even need to be there and just have the end as like an epilogue. That could be cool too. That would work. Like, you you know, maybe nowadays she would morph into her older self or something. (laughs) Or maybe at the end of the 90s she'd have morphed. I don't know if they're still doing that. But yeah, like in some fashion I, I want it there, but I don't like the way it's sort of there. It's been so long since I've seen this movie, I actually completely forgot that they had that that portion in the beginning with her being older and her go like I remember obviously the ending cuz the ending you're not you're not alone here I, the ending made me cry as well but that that ending really much stands like stands out for me but I couldn't even remember the original portion of her daughter like trying to get her out of her bedroom and onto the plane well i think it establishes that like she's just always kind of been a reluctant participant in this whole venture no i guess it just like reinforces that because we see it when she's on the farm and doesn't want to leave either well that's part of the whole thing with like jimmy telling her you know or, or kit telling her oh everyone's telling her to do something exciting and do something big throughout the movie and i guess it's her way of kind of looking back and saying oh yeah i did the very end when she's you know looking through the pictures and everything and the final shot is of her and her sister Carrie, is there stuff about this movie that doesn't work for you? Is there stuff here that you wish was better? Like, I know you love this movie seemingly with all of your heart, but is there stuff here that, like, you kind of wish either was removed or changed? So there's, like, a very brief moment, and this is another thing that made me cry. So it's not that I don't like it about the movie. It's just, like, it's so brief that there's, like, a nod to segregation, like, race, racial segregation. At one point during a game, somebody, like, hits the ball into the area that it's not supposed to go. I don't know what the word for that is. Out of bounds something. A foul line. Sure. A foul ball. And it winds up um, in a section of the stadium that is uh, segregated for people of color only. And a black woman walks out and, or she catches the ball and she walks out and Gina Davis, like, without any hesitation is like, yeah, just throw it to me. And that's like a a powerful moment of interracial baseball playing. But at the same time, it's like, I mean, and I I don't know that the movie really could have gone into this anymore. You know, it's obviously like a, like a, 
whole other topic, but it's like still related. And obviously, like racial segregation, the history of it is very much a part of our country and very much a part of baseball as well. So it's like, it's frustrating to me that it only like makes a passing glance at that. But I also, I do appreciate that they like tried to acknowledge that, like, yes, these women got to go out and play ball while the men were off at war and, you know, have this like fulfilling career experience but like they're all white women you know and women of color did not necessarily get those same experiences not only that she she actually overthrows gina davis and hits the girl behind her that's like another hundred yards away oh i didn't even notice that yeah the girl like shakes off her hands so not only not only is it showing you know obviously the the segregation it's showing that like she should be out there playing like that she's that good yeah exactly and i wonder so there was something that i read that the original version of this movie was like four and a half hours long which of course it would be uh because there's a lot of story to tell here but i wonder i think i I agree with you cara that like it's difficult to kind of touch on that and not go into it like I, I know that you sort of maybe want to touch on that and be mm-hmm. like sort of explain like why are there no black women playing it's like well because of this and this but like it almost feels like it kind of not cheapens the plight but like underplays it and i know that's not yeah. the story that this movie is telling because it's not what actually happened but it is this kind of weird like why include it if you're not going to go into it but again maybe it was more in the i don't know well i mean i had already been thinking about the fact that it was all white women in the league so it, when that happened in the movie because i didn't remember it being there i was like oh okay that's interesting and then i thought maybe there would be more of that and there was not because jackie robinson didn't break the color barrier in major league baseball till 1947 so well after the war had ended so this is before but it also it almost feels like and again this is maybe just i know this is based on reality and this isn't what happened but it almost feels like when you are literally creating a league from scratch because there aren't enough men to play or whatever it almost feels like well why why wouldn't we you know what i mean like i understand that there's still like the tensions there but it almost feels like the opportunity to be like oh well if they can play like let's play and i know that that sort of opens up a whole other can of worms but i feel like in a different version of this that was maybe a little bit more fictionalized that could have been an element and i guess yeah if we if we see how much the the men in the crowd the white men in the crowd hate women and laugh at the women i guess adding in people of color too would be like well that's gonna you know that adds a whole other element of like hate to this movie and sort of mockery and derision that maybe you want to keep out of it for what's mostly a family movie duke what about you is there something about this that you don't like what's your your least favorite element of a league of their own i don't know i feel like Again, it's it's a very well put together story, and I just feel like because because I've seen it now dozens and dozens of times. This is one of my mom's favorite movies, and if you guys don't know, I really love my mom. So I've watched a lot of a lot of her favorite things, listened to a lot of her favorite music, and um, uh, I remember always watching this with her when it was on TV. And it seemed I don't know because I I watched it just before we came on again, and I don't know it just seemed a little bit long for me. But you guys you guys know me, I always kind of get a little. Eh, when movies are over two hours, and this comes in just, just, just over that. Yeah, you're gonna. F- I mean, you're gonna find no arguments here from any of us. Like, I think we all think that movies should be shorter on average. Like, it's just you know, I don't mind the length of this one as much as I do other movies, but every movie should be shorter. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, they have a lot of ground to cover. Most of it is exciting baseball. The rest of it is like interesting drama. So like, they use the time wisely. You know what I'm saying? Like, at least there's that. And to hear they cut it down from three, four hours too, it seems that they got it as economical as possible. If I had to pick one thing the movie bothered me, they gotta stop picking on Marlene. Marlene's alright. And they're always going after her for, for not being good looking or getting drunk and singing. It's not it's not right. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. That's something else that I don't love about this movie, is that like it just uses her as the butt of a joke like way too many times the night games one it's just like if there's like some that are just like a little too mean and i know that in the end she triumphs and she gets married and she has admirers and stuff like that or like in the highlight reel when they're talking about each girl and doing like a profile and then it's just her from like 50 feet away and it's like oh and marla hooch what a great hitter yeah like that's that that's a mean but i also like i that one i kind of laughed at like there's other ones that i think were meaner well it's a good visual gag yeah that's a yeah that's a that's a nice it's joke. tough because you know there's still a product of its time that it was made mm-hmm. to a degree too so right you yeah. have like madonna who's like known for being promiscuous in her like she wants you to know that she's promiscuous in her you know entertainment life and stuff so she, now she's playing all the way may right so like a promiscuous ball player like that's part of her persona and stuff and you know I, i'm sure you know there's a little bit of it with rosie as well and everything and you know her boyfriend and she has low self-esteem when she shouldn't and then she gets the Admirers, the twins, no less. 
another thing that I really love about this movie is like how frankly it deals with sexism and sexual harassment and like women's labor and economic prospects and childcare and like I was talking about before using their bodies for something other than sex and childbearing. Well, just kind of touching on that, that first highlight, well, it's not really a highlight reel. It's a radio program during the tryout montage where you have a bunch of those conservative women talking about how, like, you know, the women's league and that they're it's going to ruin everything and that Mr. Harvey is completely nuts just like his candy bars. I thought that was, like, an interesting, honest frame of, of that moment. And I actually wrote that down. That's one of the few things I wrote down is that that little radio thing kind of made me giggle being like, oh, yeah, that, this is what a lot of people probably thought when women started playing baseball. Right. And if those things which are realities for women, particularly at that time when they had so fewer prospects economically. If those things hadn't been played for a joke and had been played seriously, it, the movie would be a completely different tone. Because it, like, when you do look at, like, the harsh realities of that, it's, like, deeply upsetting, you know? So, like, playing it for a joke actually kind of, like, lightens it up and makes it, I think, honestly, a better and more enjoyable movie. Yeah, yeah. And one of them has their son with them the whole oh, time. Yeah. Like, he's just there and around the whole time but it's just like one of those little reminders and i feel like the movie also when it gets heavy it gets really heavy so it needs sort of like those those comedic touches along the way and the, and it's like i think duke was saying really early on like it's really sort of lighthearted and you know well-rounded and stuff this is like a very four quadrant movie you know what i'm saying like the whole family yeah. goes to see this or sits around and watches it and stuff so like there's a very good balance going on here they kind of brush by it quickly because she kind of the actress almost portrays it as not a big deal but she says that her husband is unemployed and that the kid is interfering with him reading the wanted papers and that she should shut up and just take the kid to work with her she just kind of like brushes by it real quick Oh, you think that doesn't still happen all the time? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. It's just, it just, it's kind of horrifying. Like I did not laugh in that moment. It's like, yeah, wow. yeah. yeah. And so him being around the whole movie as like that constant reminder of how she's treated. You know, the whole, it's just sort of like planted there and lingers subconsciously like the rest of the film. And so many of the women have these horrible experiences with men. Like uh, Rosie O'Donnell's character at the beginning talks about how she has this boyfriend who's like ugly he doesn't have a job and he treats her like shit you know um which she says kind of like as a joke but like it's real and it's because like she has such low self-esteem so but the interesting thing about having little Stillwell angel around is that like women do have to take their kids with them and it, it like is just kind of you know a fact of life that like finding childcare is really hard and that's still true <laughs> if women want to work and also have kids it's a infinitely complicated situation some of the other things that i loved about this movie that i want to point out number one mike you had mentioned it a little bit ago and i was gonna I, I was just admiring the conversation you guys were having so i didn't want to interject but when they talked about you're you saying that madonna wants everybody to know like sort of how promiscuous she was or whatever i like that there's a line in here and i just like that rosie says you think there are men in this country who ain't seen your bosoms i was like Ooh, that's so meta, like both in this world, both in real life. That scene when they go to the roadhouse and they're dancing with the guys, like that was her job, was to like be a staff dancer at a dance hall like that. No, she, she's a taxi dancer. A ta that's that's exactly what she is. She's a taxi dancer is like somebody at club hires to like dance with the patrons. I mean, she was she was doing a great job there. So, I mean, all the power to her. She was she looked great on that dance floor. One of my favorite lines in this movie, and I know that Kara uh, enjoyed it too, was when Rosie said, let's make like a bread truck and haul buns ladies that's the only quote i wrote down mike in this when we, we mentioned it earlier i think uh, either you or Kara mentioned it earlier but tom hanks drinks a coke in this movie i was like what is this volunteers oh my gosh remember volunteers where it's like they turn to the camera it's like wayne's world where they do that but like for serious like they're not making fun of it that's insane and my last note in terms of the question that we will ask later whether or not this is a uh, Hanks on the road to being America's dad, two points against number one when the kid eats the lineup card. And he's just trying to like dangle it like he's trying to like basically shake him upside down. Uh, not quite, but almost to, to shake it out of his mouth. And then later he pegs the kid in the face with the baseball glove, which I love because that kid's so annoying. But I'm like, not quite America's dad, but, you know, overweight, drunken Hanks, you know, he could be worse, I think, but... Again, not super incredibly fatherly. In this More movie. of an uncle kind of vibe. <laughs> Mike, is there any other notes, any other, anything else you want to say about this before we uh, play a couple games? I just want to reiterate, like, how great this movie is, how, uh, like, it's... It, 
I mean, it just keeps getting better. You know, it just keeps getting better every time I see it. I mean, I'm really pumped now. We're on our way. This is the golden mile or whatever we're calling it. Like, I'm in a very good mood from here on out. I'll tell you that much. And, you know, I've been having a lot of fun tonight. Duke, anything else that you want to uh, mention about this movie? I kind of was looking around because I realized there haven't been like a heck of a lot of, there's a lot of baseball movies in the 90s. Sandlot, Rookie of the Year, Major League, Feel the Dreams. I think that was the late, ni- well, it might, might have been the 90s. I think it was late 80s, early 90s, yeah. This movie out of all, like they all kind of seem a little gimmicky or this is the only like legit, besides, I mean, I think Major League's more of like a fun comedy and the Sandlot's good for nostalgia if you're looking back at, as a kid, but this is it's probably maybe the only really, really good, solid comedy, family, drama, baseball movie of, of that decade to me. Yeah, I think that maybe one, I mean, it's it's way, way, way later. What is it? Probably 17 years later, but I think it, it kind of might take until Moneyball to get another like great baseball movie, right? Where it's... You know, how can you not be romantic about baseball? Shout out P.S. I love Hoffman. But yeah, I think this is definitely one of the uh, finer sports movies of that era. And especially, you know, just across the board. Like, it's well shot. It's well made. It's well acted. Everything about it is just, it, it works. Can you believe? I mean, I certainly can. After being told by the studio they weren't considering Penny Marshall for the role of director because she was a woman. And because it was going to be too complicated for her to uh, figure everything out as a director. Yeah, she wouldn't be able to handle the complexities of being a director. And with this movie, Penny Marshall was the first female director to have a movie earn over $100 million at the box office. That's incredible. That's incredible. R.I.P. I forgot she died and made me sad all over again. I think the timing of why we did this for the contenders back in January is I think right after she died, they wanted to sort of memorialize her, remember her, honor her by highlighting one of her movies. And we, they talked about this one. Um, we're going to have another Penny Marshall movie coming up soon, right? Or no? Uh, we, well, she she directed Big as well, right? Oh, so right, right, right. Is, we already had the one. Second. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. Well, Coward, do you have anything else you want to say about this movie? I know that you love this movie. Anything else that you would rest uneasy tonight if you did not say on this podcast? The real Women's Baseball League actually lived on long after than just a single season. They say that the reason that the, it died is because the television came around and so people weren't like going to see baseball games as much, which, of course obviously is bullshit because men's baseball stuck around but i think it lasted until like 1953 so yeah i think there's like when they go to the hall of fame at the end i think there's some like 1943 to 1953 or whatever like there's like some kind of big timeline indicator demarcation whatever in that section so yeah, i think yeah i think you're right i think it's about 10 ish years which is you know pretty good run it actually was extremely profitable. They they probably made the whole conflict of, you know, Harvey might shut down the league because, you know, they're not making any money. People absolutely freaking loved women's baseball in the Midwest. Are there cards of them? I don't know, but apparently it was extremely profitable. And that's on top of the fact that there actually was the National League and the American League continued on. They got ex-players that were too old to play baseball. They got high school kids that were too young to be drafted. There was still Major League Baseball, and this still thrived. Of course, yes, the television did kind of ruin it, but these people in the Midwest, they didn't have television. So they wanted to go and see good baseball games, so they went and saw the, the, the best damn product that they had around them, and that was this, this amazing women's baseball league. Mike, to answer your question, it looks like there are cards, but they were issued like long after the league ended, mostly probably around the release of this movie. But what I was going to say is that I love John Lovitz so much, and he's so good in this movie. And apparently he was like supposed to be in the movie so much more, but they cut down his part to just like his like really good one-liners, um, which also kind of helped balance the tone of the movie with like the humor and the more serious parts, which is great. And like most of that stuff was actually uh, lines that he improved. But also Gary Marshall in this movie, Penny Marshall's brother, is so good. I love him in this movie, too. Please call him Gary. I know that he's in this movie, but where does he... Who is he? He's the candy bar guy that oh, starts the league. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Some quick Tom Hanks trivia before we play some games. So while they were filming the World Series, they had all these like unpaid extras in the crowd, and they wanted Madonna to entertain them all, and she said, no, I'm not doing that. So then they had Tom Hanks did puppet shows, Rosie O'Donnell did stand-up comedy, and other actors pretended to be Madonna and sing her songs. And so apparently Madonna was like a huge diva on the set. I don't no, I mean, okay, Madonna is clearly an asshole. Like, we know this as a culture, but at the same time, like, the tone of the things that were written about her on the IMDb trivia, I didn't read anything contemporaneous, but it seems like 
maybe people perceived her in a worse way than she was actually behaving. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I could understand. You're there to act, not to sing, right? Like Yeah, and like, yeah. you know, she makes literally millions of dollars to perform as a musician and a dancer and whatever. And like, no, she shouldn't be doing that for free. Like, I feel very strongly that people shouldn't work for free, you know. And if, if that's like your moneymaker, no, you don't give that away. Tom Hanks is not a professional uh, puppeteer, or maybe he is. I don't know. He should have juggled some. Tom Hanks gained 30 pounds for the role, like I said. He just ate a lot of Dairy Queen nearby, apparently. Um, his line, there's no crying in baseball obviously world famous was AFI's number 54 movie quote. He didn't think he was old enough to be believable as Jimmy Dugan, but Penny Marshall told him that it was more about the way that the world had beaten down upon him and rather more than his age. And so he was able to do that. That character was originally conceived to be in his sixties. Um, so he's definitely supposed to be like much older. Oh, wow. I got a bit of a early Joe versus the volcano with him in some of this, you know, where he's like real beaten down and mm. downtrodden yes. and just, you know, kicked in the ass by I'm life. I'm not arguing that. <laughs> and then he received, which this feels early, but I guess maybe not. He received his Walk of Fame, the Hollywood Walk of Fame star, the same week that this movie came out, which I guess he was a star, but like, I know that he's a big name, but like, considering where he's about to go, it feels like we haven't gotten to the movie. You know what I mean? Like, it feels, that feels so early. Um, Amy Tom Hanks' role considered for that part were Jim Belushi, Michael J. Fox, and Brian Cranston, which are all wildly different movies, I think. But there are so many names for so many different uh, roles. Some big ones. Laura Dern, I think, was originally cast in the Gina Davis role, but then had to drop out. So was Moira Kelly. You said we weren't going to have time for this, but I'm going to squeeze it in. Moira Kelly was originally assigned to play the role of Kit, uh, but she hurt her ankle while filming The Cutting Edge. Toe pick. Another one of my favorite movies. Also another Karenection. We have Jennifer Jason Lee was in the running for the Gina Davis role. Nicole Kidman as well. Shout out to the other Tom Tom. And then Michelle Pfeiffer considered for the Madonna role, which I think would have been interesting. But my favorite little bit of this was that Marissa Tomei filmed an audition tape uh, of her playing baseball being yelled at by Joe Pesci while they were on the set of My Cousin Vinny. And they sent that in. And then Penny Marshall was like, she just couldn't play baseball, so we couldn't cast her. But I just love, I want to see that where Joe Pesci's just yelling at her and she's trying to play baseball. But that is, you know, I wonder if that's an extra on like the My Cousin and Vinny's like I don't know where that footage lives it's got to live somewhere please let that exist somewhere Joe Pesci as the Tom Hanks role in this could have been good I feel like his version of this role is in the Snickers commercials where they're like you're not you're not yourself when you're hungry it's just like him as Jimmy Dugan is like him in the Snickers commercial all right now Kara and Duke and Mike I want I want us all to think about what this movie would look like if Tom Cruise was cast in the role we've seen him play baseball a little bit right in the firm he plays a little bit of softball so we know that he can swing a baseball bat a little bit but could this movie work if tom cruise were in the lead role or in the tom hanks role and if not if you don't see that happening where could he fit in this world if not the tom hanks role i have ideas if no one else does yet i don't i don't know i don't think he could i mean of course he could do it but i I don't think it would be as good has he ever been beaten down i mean like i guess in he's beaten down literally by kubrick in eyes wide shut but that's a different like he still doesn't look Maybe Jerry Maguire a little bit. Like, there's a little Jerry Maguire going on, but I'd put him as uh, Gina Davis's husband at the end and just stick him in there. Maybe you could stick him in the bar scene as Kit's love interest. Oh, okay. The only real, like, oh, there's somebody I know was at the, uh, near the end of the movie during the World Series. Tay Leone shows up and says, uh, yeah, one more, one more. It's like one more at, like standing behind Kit. Um, also, the guy who played Squiggy on Laverne and Shirley, which of course Penny Marshall was on, he is the baseball announcer. There's another guy from Laverne and Shirley, but I didn't recognize him. But Carol, what are your thoughts? You said you had thoughts about Tom Cruise in this movie. Where could he fit? Could you see him in this world? John Lovitz is the scout, right? But who's yes. the other guy with the glasses? Oh, David Strathairam's guy. So he, like, runs the league. Okay. Yeah, so him. Uh, I could definitely see Cruise in that role. But I think that he would be great as a little Stillwell angel. <laughs> I love it. That David Strathairam role you know, he was giving me vibes of um, from Mike, one of our favorite movies from this year that I don't think that that most people don't like, uh, Serenity. Oh boy. He was giving me vibes of the rules. That guy, uh, I guess his character name is Reed Miller, which I just found out today after watching almost two full seasons of Succession that like the star of Succession, the guy who plays Kendall Roy, Jeremy Strong, is the rules. So now I need to watch Serenity again. This bonkers movie with this bonkers character who says, "I am the rules." is the star of this HBO show that I love. And I was getting vibes like the sort of that like bookish kind of like 
pencil-pushing kind of behind-the-scenes manipulator, master, and commander, whatever. I don't know. I was just like, I need to watch Serenity. Like, all these signs are pointing me toward Serenity. I need to get back on that boat, that proverbial boat. <laughs> um, play the game. Play the game one more time. All right, Kara, I'm going to let you do... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gonna give you the privilege of playing this game because I want you to... Stan Lee yourself, you win a cameo, you win a walk-on role into a league of their own. Where are you putting yourself in this movie? Are you playing baseball? Are you in support of the team? Where do you fall in this world? And if you guys want to chip in too, but I want to give Kara the dream role of a lifetime, walking onto one of her favorite movies, a movie that makes her sob. Where do you find yourself? in this movie. I really identify with Kit like as a younger sibling who like always felt like I was like in the shadow of my older sibling, but I don't know if that I'm not athletic like at all. So John Lovitz. Definitely John Lovitz. I like that. Does anybody else have a, a place that they would put themselves in this movie? I don't know where I would be. Or actually, you know what, Rosie O'Donnell probably just cracking jokes the whole time. All right. Being a smart cool. ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Batting uh, top of the lineup, you know, playing solid defense at third, cheering people on. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, do you have any ideas or no? Um, you know, peanuts. Peanuts here. Get your peanuts. I'll just be the guy selling peanuts at the ballpark and, you know, throwing them at people. I'll be that guy. Might be cool to be, like, one of the family members of the, the baseball players. Just, like, being up there being like, yo, that's that's my sister. That's my, my wife. Or that's my daughter. Like, that's that one might have been something really cool. Something that... Maybe they, somebody of that time and era with a daughter wouldn't usually get to do, go out to a, a major sporting event and say, that's that's my daughter kicking ass on that field out there. Uh, also true today. Or that's my mom or something like that would have been, yeah. Well, let us now nominate this movie for some awards uh, in what we're now calling probably the Woodies, uh, the Tom Hanks Awards. Best film, of course, A League of Their Own. I'm also going to say best role, Jimmy Dugan in A League of Their Own. Best ensemble, for sure. Best fight. Hanks does not get into a fight here. Best dance scene. I don't think Hanks dances. Best party scene. I don't think he's really involved in a party scene. Best outfit wardrobe. Do you want to nominate his baseball uniform as one of the best things? I mean, the the costumes in this are wonderful. I do have a question that none of you will probably be able to answer, and I didn't have time to Google, which is that I noticed that like the little icons on the patches on their baseball dresses don't match the names of the teams. Rockford Peaches, it's like a image of like scales, like the scales of justice. Oh, apparently that is the City of Rockford's logo, because I just Googled Rockford Peaches, and that shows up. So it's just like City of Rockford, Illinois, and there's the Scales of Justice there. And later, the team's called the Bells, but it's like The a... Racing Bells, yeah, and it's like a little beehive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this episode comes out on October 18th. It's you know just under two weeks away from Halloween. If there's any couples out there, I don't know who's listening to this podcast, but there there's a great costume here for Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, even though they're not a couple in the movie. This is a great costume. These are great I've costumes. I've always wanted to wear one of those uh, dresses for Halloween. I just haven't been too lazy to make one and too cheap to buy one. So we have best film, best role, best ensemble, best wardrobe. So now best freak out we have to do, there's no crying in baseball, because I feel like that's a, more than just a line. That's, a, that's the freak out. That's the kind of the explosion, that whole thing is there a line and i don't know that there is because i feel like most of his memorable things he's yelling and he's angry about things is there a line that he says that is should be nominated for best line here or does everything sort of fall more into the freak out i'm losing my mind territory the time mike you were talking about before it's like a non-freak out he's like trying so hard not to freak out when he like really really wants to yell at that one woman and he's like really holding it in I think that's a good freak out because he's freaking out internally and it's definitely showing externally, but he's not putting it on her. Yeah, so like a contained freak out almost. Mm -hmm. A nice middle ground. All right. He's got a line towards the end, he says to Gina Davis, where he's like, uh, and it's like more of a serious line and I'm kind of not going to get it all right, but he's like, if it was... uh, if it was easy, everyone would do it. I don't know. I can't remember exactly, but like he's trying to get her to stay. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. Yeah, that's a pretty good line. Yeah, that's a good line. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, also, while I was looking it up on IMDb, I want to point out that this was nominated for two Golden Globes. Gina Davis for Best Performance Comedy or Musical in 1993. And also Madonna wrote the original song, This Used to Be this My Playground. This used to nominated be my for playground. Best original song but gina davis would lose to well a league of their own the song lost to a whole new world from aladdin which you know that's it's hard to beat gina davis lost to miranda richardson who i don't know in a movie called enchanted april which i don't know doesn't ring a bell 
Anybody familiar with either of those? Nope. Hmm. Well, that that happened. We can't take Gina Davis's quote of "Go piss on your hat." So there's also the speaking of hats. There's a line that Tom Hanks says that to the umpire, he's like, "You look like a penis with a little wearing a little hat," and he gets ejected. Like that's not quite a freak out, but it's sort of again that straddling that in between line. I will say because I know that Duke pointed out Hans Zimmer's score before best soundtrack theme score, A League of Their Own. I will put that here. Best or worst Hanks love story. He does not really have a love story in this. They you know the movie like Kara said before, kind of had tried at one point and then they were just like, nope. But now here, the very difficult question, I, I, you know, we could maybe do two if we want to push it, but best non-Hanks actor, male or female, who do we nominate here? This is, this is maybe the most difficult thing we are going to have this entire podcast, Mike. It's just, everyone is worthy, and I don't, I don't want to have, like, three women, you know what I mean? Like, it's, because there's so much good to come. I feel like, I, you know, I love Gina Davis, she's wonderful in this, but she kind of stays the same temperature the whole time and like doesn't show a ton of range in this movie whereas like I feel like Lori Petty does you know she kind of goes all over the place and and has like a bigger range and I just think she's a badass and I love her so much what I did not remember and this was me being probably bullied into it by Mike and Austin Wolf Southern, is that we nominated both Kim Cattrall and Melanie Griffith in Bonfire of the Vanities. And if we're going to nominate both of them, we can't not both nominate Gina Davis and Laurie Petty. So we'll put them both in there. And at one, at some point, we're going to cull that down. And, you know, both bonfires might get cut. I don't know. But for now, you know, because there's just so much good to come. Like we got, you know, we have Meg Ryan in there already. We're going to have... You know, it's just like the Toy Story world, like everything that we're going to have, you know, the actress who plays Wilson, the volleyball, she's great. I mean, there's so much good stuff to come. You know, I just uh, I want to make sure that we, you know, we're, we're, we're opening our hearts to the world. And we're going to have to make the, the tough, tough cuts, Mike, you know, at the end of next year when we are wrapping up Hanks with Memories. We're going to have to narrow this down in a big way. But for now, we'll say both. So nine award nominations, best film, best role, best ensemble, best wardrobe, best line, best freak out. Best Soundtrack Theme Score, and two nominations for Best Non-Hanks Actor Female. So, wonderful, well-represented, nine positions of the baseball diamond, nine nominees. Couldn't have asked for a more baseball-appropriate number. Well, thank you both so much for joining me and Mike today to pivot into the good era of Tom Hanks movies. Not that there weren't good movies before this, but it was. this is now going to, in theory, be smooth sailing from here on out, um, just like Queens of the Stone Age sang, which I'm sure was about this. Duke, do you want to be found on the internet? Is there anywhere that you want people who are listening to this who are like, I like the cut of that guy's jib, I want to know more about him, Twitter, Instagram, or do you want to just, you know, live a life of privacy? Uh, I mean, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's DannyDukes25. D-A-N-N-Y-D-U-K-E-S-2-5. You will find lots and lots of cute kitty pictures and uh, puppy pictures and just lots of stupid pictures of me and my wife. It's nothing too interesting, folks. But if you want to come and take a look at it, you're welcome to it. Well, who doesn't love cute kitty pictures and cute puppy? You know, it's just the best. Also, I just realized, and I don't mean to put this off and Carol, I'm going to get to you in a second, but we, we did not answer the question I've been sort of teasing all episode, Mike. Question for everybody. Does Tom Hanks in this movie do anything that puts him on the road to becoming America's dad? Does he learn lessons in this movie that will help him establish his position as America's dad, the actor? Yes or no? Yeah. I mean, he, he stops drinking. <laughs> And he learns to somewhat contain his anger and communicate in a more constructive manner. And also, he throws that baseball mitt at that kid. He gives good, solid advice on that baseball as well. Okay, I, I'll buy it. I get it. I buy it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll say yes. I did not think it was going to be yes, but I, uh, I've been swayed by all of you, so I, I appreciate that. That's fine. We're good. We're good. Yes. Absolutely. I always want to say yes. I just, you know, I don't always see the forest through the trees. So glad that you could open my eyes. Well, Kara, I, I mentioned at the top of the show, you are on this entire lap of Too Fast, Too Forever with me and Joe, too. But also, you have your very own podcast every other Thursday with Jordan Poland Clark, who has been on, I think she's been on at Tom Tom. Maybe not. I don't remember. We've done so many of these spread out over such a, such a period of time. But I know she's either been on or she'll be on. Uh, but Kara, why don't you tell the listeners about Wistful Thinking a little bit? We watch movies that uh, we remembered fondly from our youth and then, you know, talk about the experiencing of revisiting them as an adult and, you know, stuff like that, which has been really interesting and very fun. So as this episode comes out, you just put out your second of three spooky movies for October yesterday. So what is the second spooky movie that you're doing uh, in October? 
I Know What You Did Last Summer. Ooh, very spooky. Yeah, we also did Disturbing Behavior. And then our third October episode is TBD, but it comes out on Halloween. So I feel like we need to do something extra special. Very exciting. And I looked it up and Jordan was on the Rain Man episode of Cruise Club and on the Punchline episode of this very podcast. How could we forget Punchline, Mike? A movie that I literally forgot that we had talked about until I looked it up. All right. Well, Kara and Duke, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you both. But Duke, you'll be on a couple more episodes. And Kara, you will be on our next episode of Hanks the Memories. You'll be back here in two weeks with another very special guest to talk about Sleepless in Seattle. So very exciting. Uh, to another, have another Hanks for the Memories back-to-back with you, Kara. And another movie directed by a woman. Wonderful. If you are not listening to our Cruise Club episodes, last week we did Magnolia, which was a great episode, a great movie. And next week we're doing Mission Impossible 2, um, which we have not recorded yet, but we are very excited to do because who doesn't love Ethan Hunt? But Cruise Club and Hanks for the Memories, Mike, we are now in the sweet spot, I think, for both of them. Like, I feel like Cruise Club is going to be on the slight downhill just because we're at such great heights right now but as hanks comes up this might be like this is really the 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 sweet spot for both of them and i am uh, very excited to be in the middle of this so for all things tom tom club all things hanks from the memories and cruise club you can go to cageclub.me facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on twitter and instagram email us hanks at cageclub.me come back next week on our cruise club feed for mission impossible 2 and come back in two weeks to hear carol once again Join us to talk about Sleepless in Seattle. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Dan the Duke Hayden and Cara Gale Regan of the Wistful Thinking Podcast. And we'll see you right here in two weeks, right here on Hanks for the Memories. This used to be my playground. This used to be my child.